It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash life coach radio and now here's today's show hello everyone this is the life coach radio network on blog talk radio my guest today is certified personal coach thought leader and author barry davenport i'm your host jan jaffe welcome to in-depth barry davenport is a certified personal coach thought leader, author, and creator of several online courses on self-confidence, life passion, habit creation, and self-publishing. She is the founder of two top-ranked personal development development sites, LiveBold and Bloom.com and BarryDavenport.com. Her work as a coach, blogger, and author is focused on offering people practical strategies for living happier, more successful, and more mindful lives. She utilizes time-tested, evidence-based, action-oriented principles and methods to create real and measurable results for self-improvement. Her latest book is How to Speak Up, Set Boundaries, and Break the Cycle of Manipulation and Control with Your Abusive Partner. I'm delighted to have Barry Davenport as my guest on today's show. Welcome, Barry. Well, thank you so much, Jan. I am delighted to be here. Oh, and I'm delighted that you're here. The number here is 646-716-9397. We welcome your calls, questions, comments, and contribution to the discussion. We'd love to hear from you. The number again is 646-716-9397. So, Barry, this topic can be confusing to many people. To begin with, just what is emotional abuse? Yeah, and I do want to mention you you very kindly said something about my book in the beginning, and the the official title of the book is Emotional Abuse Breakthrough. And I think uh, emotional abuse is a very misunderstood, um, very challenging issue with couples. And I think people who are suffering in this kind of relationship are looking for a way to break through it and to figure out exactly what's happening because it's very confusing. So emotional abuse is a pattern of behavior uh, in an intimate relationship. At least that's what we're discussing here. It can happen in other relationships, but in your romantic relationship with your spouse where one partner is consistently and systematically diminishing the other partner Uh, with manipulation, with control, with passive-aggressive behaviors, with verbal abuse, 
um, with mind games, uh, with behaviors that are sort of under the radar screen uh, that people from the outside may not notice what's going on, but the victim of the abuse realizes that something isn't right. Something is not right in this love relationship where this person is supposed to be treating me with respect and kindness um, and gentleness, but it doesn't feel anything like that. Mm. So why is it so difficult to identify? Well, with with physical abuse, um, you know, people who, who are in physically abusive relationships, you know, they have scars, they have bruises, they um, have had to make calls to 911 or to uh, contact their family members to support them because they are in physical pain. Um, so, and that's horrible. There's, you know, that is a, a life-threatening situation to be in. Emotional abuse is much more subtle. Um, it is something that, uh, that is sort of a psychological, um, mental torment that's hard to pinpoint because the abuser is so skilled at their covert tactics, at their manipulations, that you begin to question yourself and you wonder, am I doing something wrong here? Uh, am I to blame? This, you know, when we first met, he was wonderful. Or when, when we first started dating, she was so sweet to me. And all of a sudden, she's turned into this awful person or he's started yelling at me for no reason. And so you start to doubt yourself and you wonder uh, why no one else is seeing this. It, you know, the, the manipulator is very good at presenting himself or herself as uh, a wonderful person to everyone around you and in public, but behind closed doors you get the evil eye, you get the cruel comments, you get the cold shoulder, um, all kinds of, of covert kind of tactics that make you wonder if you're going crazy. Right. It's, it, it sounds like it can be extremely insidious and then the victim is trying to figure out, okay, what did I do wrong? What can I do to make him or her treat me the way um, they did in the beginning? Um, and, how and can we? And they're quite desperate to to get back to that uh, original point of love and affection and what attracted uh, you to the person in the first place. And so you you're doing backflips and. Uh, trying everything in your power to win the abuser back into your good graces when really you haven't done anything at all wrong to cause these things to happen. It's it's the abuser who's got some issues going on. Mm-hmm. So then, um, so how would it be, or would you say it's more harmful uh, than physical abuse? Well, you know, both of them are terrible, and and certainly with physical abuse, there is that ever-looming threat of real uh, harm and even death. And so that's, you know, anyone who is listening to this program who is going through a physically abusive relationship needs to contact law enforcement or a physical abuse hotline, uh, go to a counselor right away. Emotional abuse certainly doesn't have the uh, physical harm involved in physical abuse, but as you said, the word insidious, it is like the steady drip of water torture, uh, and you can't, you, you can't figure it out. It's not as um, uh, um, obvious to both you and to people around you. And so there's the denial both of the abuser who's saying, I'm not doing anything. What are you talking about? And then internally you're thinking, well, maybe 
maybe he isn't doing anything. Maybe I am crazy. And then there are the people around you who are like, what are you talking about? She's so wonderful. She's so special. What, why would you ever consider that anything's wrong in your relationship? So it goes on for longer, and it lasts you know, a much longer time before you recognize what's going on. And then by the time you do recognize what's going on, your self-esteem is so low and you are so beaten down and you are so emotionally drained that you barely have the wherewithal to stand up and demand your rightful place in the relationship. Mm. So who is most likely to be abused? Is there a specific personality type or life experience that might make someone more vulnerable to this? Well, you know, there, there are varying opinions on this, and I did my own survey. I have a list of followers who are emotional abuse victims, and I did my own survey on it. Anyone can be a victim. I mean, you can be from, you know, a perfectly normal family upbringing and be from a well-to-do background, educated. You know, a lot of people say, why would, you put, why would a smart person put up with this? Very smart people can get entangled in an emotionally abusive relationship. I will say that I have noticed in, in my research with my followers that women and men who have experienced some kind of abuse in their own early lives, in their childhoods, whether it's from their parents or they had a past uh, abuse, abusive relationship, do tend to become attracted more to abusers just because they're trying to work out those old patterns from their past lives into not their past lives before death, but their their past mm-hmm. their youthful experiences or their past relationships. Um, I've also found that abusers have a level of abuse in their past, and so rather than uh, accepting becoming a victim themselves, they decide to become the controller in order to. Uh, sort of put a barrier around all of those old wounds. So now this is all anecdotal. I can't give you specific Mm. statistics, but I can say that, you know, you will find a lot of people who are both victims and abusers have dealt with this in their own past lives. Mm. So in a sense, it it seems to reinforce what they know. um, They seem to know from their from their early childhood, perhaps, or from some specific point in their life about who they are and how uh, how they are loved by other people, would you say that? Yes, absolutely. For example, if you are a child who had an emotionally abusive parent who neglected you or withheld love from you or yelled at you or controlled you, and, you know, when you're young, you don't have uh, the emotional intelligence or you're not equipped to know how to respond, to stand up for yourself. Um, you, you see this parent as the all-knowing, all-powerful person in your life. And so that becomes your, your normal state of mind, your normal way of living. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't figure out how to heal from that and how to uh, move past it and um, address it, whether directly or, or through therapy uh, with your original abuser, then the odds are good you're going to repeat that pattern in an effort to heal it in a new relationship. And that, that quite often happens that you choose somebody uh, who has those same behaviors because you're still looking 
to resolve those past pains. It sounds also that it might also reinforce someone's um, belief about themselves, that there's something wrong with them. So if they've gotten into a relationship with someone who at first treats them very, very well, and then this abusive pattern uh, starts to creep in, uh, this person may then say, oh, this is, you know, there is something wrong with me. There really is something wrong with me, and I have to try to fix this. There must be something I can do to be a better person or something like that. Is that... Do you think that I enters think into abusers, it as well? I do. I think there's there's certainly different types of emotional abusers, and some have personality types that almost make them target people they recognize as um, emotionally needy or insecure or having no self-esteem. And so initially they can win that person over with compliments and kindness and love, and then when the... The, the new love interest is deeply involved and engaged, it, then it turns from Dr. Jekyll into Mr. Hyde. Mm. And they, they start uh, preying on the very weaknesses uh, that, that their partner so needs support with. <clears throat> so if someone has low self-esteem, the abuser is going to take advantage of that. Uh, if they feel bad about themselves or if they have a part of their personality or their appearance that they don't like, the abuser is going to, you know, seek that out and and go after it like a heat-seeking missile. Mm, so it's almost like a systematic um, approach to sl- dominating or getting control over someone else. Yes, and, um, you know, not all abusers see it that way. Some some mm-hmm. of them are less. Uh, they're very unconscious of their behaviors, and mm-hmm. they are simply reacting to their own upbringing or uh, role models when they were younger. A lot of people have role models who were emotionally uh, abusive or detached or uh, immature, and so they never learn better. Uh, others mm. are more calculating and more, you know, some, some actually have um, mental disorders, um, you know, or personality disorders that contribute to their abusive behavior. Right. So it could be then when you say it's, it's it can be an unconscious response or reaction, almost like an interpretation, uh, a somewhat skewed interpretation to either a behavior or a res- or a, an action of the partner that's being abused, um, but an interpretation based on their upbringing or something in their past that they are now yeah. reacting to. Absolutely. For example, uh, if a man is brought up in a household where showing emotion is, you know, frowned upon and you are supposed to, uh, you know, be very strong and um, defensive, and if he's with a woman who is asking him to express his feelings, to be more vulnerable, uh, to be more real, then his natural reaction is to be to bow up, to get defensive, to lash out. And, of course, to the woman who needs to have that love and support, this is emotionally abusive and rejecting um, if it's a consistent behavior, if they're constantly shut out, if there's no emotional intimacy, 
uh, to the man, it might be a very normal reaction. Why do you need all of this emotion from me? What's going on? What, why are you acting this way? Uh, and so there's a, there's a dynamic between the two of them where they're, you know, it's a push-me-pull-you. She, she needs one thing, and he responds the complete opposite way. And it's not just with men. It can be women as the abuser and, and men as the victim. Mm-hmm. But the dynamic is similar. So basically what you're referring to as well could be a form of stonewalling behavior in the, in the abuser. Yeah, that, and that can occur. You know, that can, that can, uh, you can feel that from a, a man or a woman. It's not devoted just to one gender. No, in fact, you know, women are, are quite uh, uh, adept at being emotional mm-hmm. abusers as well. And the, the abuse takes on so many different forms. I mean, I just mentioned stonewalling and um, defensiveness, but, um, you know, there are all forms of emotional abuse from, you know, creating chaos in the household and being dramatic, guilt-tripping, um, blaming someone, yelling and screaming and cursing at mm-hmm. them, um, you know, uh, using sex as a weapon to try to control you, uh, controlling your whereabouts, jealousy, trying to make you uh, feel bad about leaving the house, controlling money. That's a huge one uh, where mm. one partner has control of all of the finances and, and intimidates the other person and makes them feel like they have no right to spend money or uh, that they have to ask permission to spend money. Um, so it, it's a wide-reaching, um, big cycle of, of behaviors. Uh, and, you know, the dynamic is different between uh, different couples. Right. It can even be as minor, I would think, as as looking at, at text messages or wanting to know who a text is from or, or checking caller ID on a phone to see who's called. I mean, it, it, it can be minor or seem minor compared to some of the things that you've mentioned, but it still is controlling. And, it is. Uh, and it's, we, we all have some of those behaviors, of course. In any relationship, there will be times where you feel a little jealous or there will be times where you uh, yell at your spouse or times where you snoop at their text message or, you know, there are all of these behaviors uh, in an isolated instance or few instances are perfectly normal relational behaviors. But it's that pattern and that systematic approach to any time you step out of line and do something I don't want you to do, you're going to pay for it. And you're going to pay for it with one of these kind of behaviors. Um, and it is ongoing. It's not something that happens once a month or even just once a week. It's going to be every day. There's going to be something and it's when the, the victim begins to feel like they are walking on eggshells, that they are constantly hypervigilant, constantly waiting for that next shoe to drop, wondering, okay, he seems okay right now, but I know any minute something's going to happen and the table's going to turn. Um, that's when it becomes abusive. And, you know, sometimes these perfectly normal behaviors can evolve into abuse when, when the abuser realizes hey, I'm able to control her if I keep doing this. And it may not even be conscious. It may be, you know, oh, I see that she jumps when I say jump, so I'm going to keep making her jump because that benefits me. Um, And, you know, then what was once an every now and then sort of behavior 
devolves into an abusive situation. Absolutely. I just want to um, say, and if, if anybody is joining us late, our guest today is Barry Davenport. Um, we're discussing emotional and psychological abuse, and we would love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments. Um, the phone number here is 646-716-9397. So, Barry, in your book, you you mention or you talk about traumatic bonding. Uh, would you would you mind explaining that to our audience, please, and how that affects um, this whole cycle? Yeah. So sometimes when a person is in an abusive relationship long enough, and they are just hanging on to any shred of love or kindness or attention or affection they begin to get closer to their abuser. And because they are so desperate to, um, to get just the little bit of, of uh, intimacy and connection that they can, they bond with this person. And you know, many of you listening may have heard of something called Stockholm Syndrome, where uh, somebody who's been badly abused, maybe you know, kidnapped and kept in a room for years or whatever, and all of a sudden they, they defend, you know, they, maybe they are rescued and then they defend the abusive person. Well, he was nice to me. He gave me uh, dinner every night. And so their perceptions have become grossly skewed by the abuse. They think that something that is a normal shred of human kindness is a, a gigantic uh, offering of love. And so you begin to think that what is abnormal, what is unkind, and what is uh, diminished uh, affection is really normal. And so you start to become close to that person and that's what feels like love to you. Something that is warped suddenly becomes your definition of a loving relationship. Mm, and it sounds also as though um, if someone becomes somewhat isolated in this sort of relationship, which is not uncommon, and they are working so hard to, quote-unquote, do things right, so that their partner is no longer angry at them, I would think this is such a reward when things do seem pleasant that it might also add to this this bonding that that we're talking Absolutely. about. And if there so you are all, other, I'm sorry. I was going to say if there are other uh, things going on in the family, like their children. Uh, people, friends who they are observing this relationship, you know, things that are keeping uh, the victim connected to this person, um, you know, you're, anything that might sabotage that or reveal the truth of the relationship is going to feel threatening to the victim, uh, even though they may on some level realize that this is a terrible relationship, they move closer to it because the idea of pulling that thread and unraveling uh, what's going on it feels like their entire world will fall apart. Mm-hmm. I guess also because so much of their self-identity, their definition of self is wrapped up in this, in this uh, relationship that they have with, this, with their abuser. That's super important. I'm glad you brought that up because often when the abuse gets severe, uh, the victim loses their sense of identity. Everything... <laughs> about them becomes defined by the abuser. Uh, they 
no longer have their own opinions about what's right and wrong. They have no more uh, political or uh, moral compass that is their own. It, it belongs to their abuser. How they raise their children, how they spend their money, where they go, what they do, it's all dependent on the abuser. And so if they step outside of that, it's like falling into a gigantic black hole because they have no, no operating system of their own. They've lost that in, in this relationship. Mm. I also want to point out, just so that our listeners are aware, that it's not just um, marital relationships that this can occur in. It can occur in a dating relationship or, I mean, that basically we're just discussing today um, intimate partner relationships as opposed to perhaps family relationships, but um, that you don't have to be married to someone or, or um, have a legal bond to someone to still be a victim to this sort of behavior. Absolutely not. And you can be gay or straight, living with someone, not living with someone um, in a long-term dating scenario, <clears throat> this kind of abuse, though, is rampant. Um, I think there was a study, I'm trying to remember, I did put it in my book, but a study that in Spain that um, the vast majority of dating relationships uh, from young people ages 17 to 20-something, emotional abuse was a normal part of that relationship, where there was yelling and screaming and calling names and put-downs and criticisms. So that was just considered a, a normal part of an intimate relationship. Mm. Well, that sounds like pure hell to me. <laughs> yes, it does. And it's, I'm, 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 I'm happy that you mentioned um, about criticisms because it can be as insidious as never getting a compliment but always having your mistakes or your failings or even just little ways of passively aggressing, aggressively pointing out something wrong that you've done without ever hearing anything positive. Um, Absolutely. I'm just, yeah, I'm curious about your thoughts about that because sometimes yeah. that's what's confusing too to people is, well, he doesn't, he just yells sometimes or he doesn't hit me but he'll punch the wall or he'll punch you know, or he'll punch the floor or he'll punch the, the sofa or the table. Um, and it's it's nothing really, it, it's not really obvious or, you know, it's just he doesn't compliment me, but I'm always hearing or I'm often hearing what's wrong or what I did wrong or what's making him unhappy or he's not making eye contact. Um, I'm right. curious to hear what you have to say about that because it, it, well, it can be just, very confusing. Well, pack yeah, it can be, and you made a power pack statement, and one thing I really do want to address is if you have a partner or spouse who is throwing things, punching things, making threatening faces or gestures, but hasn't actually hit you or punched you or slapped you or whatever, those behaviors are the precursors to physical abuse. So if you are seeing any kind of uh, violence going on, uh, in the household, even if it's not directed at you, be careful. And if you can get out of that relationship, get out. Uh, if you can't, go to counseling or, or uh, contact a domestic abuse hotline because those are the very first signs of physical abuse. Uh, that said, what you said about criticisms and uh, you know, giving you the cold shoulder, giving you ugly looks, 
not being supportive, all of that in a, in a relationship where this is the person who's supposed to love you the most, all of that is cruel and hurtful and uh, not mature uh, behavior. I mean, when you think about the, the line in the wedding vows, I promise to love, honor, and cherish you. Well, none of that is loving, honorable, cherishing kind of behavior. Um, a lot of it stems from simple immaturity and the, the lack of understanding about how to um, deal with your own um, issues, your own frustrations, your own low self-esteem. Um, but if you're in a relationship, you are obligated to figure that out and not take that out on your partner because that is not love, honor, and cherishing your partner. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like it. Um, no. You mentioned fallout in your book. So what, what is that, and what are the stages and symptoms of fallout? Yeah, so fallout is, is, is the victim's response to what is happening to them. And, you know, there, there are two, I guess, stages of this kind of fallout. When you're first involved in a relationship with someone and it begins to get emotionally abusive. So let's say you've been dating and things have been fine and then um, either you get married or the dating goes on for a while and you get to know this person better and you're more involved in their lives. Then you start to notice these small uh, abusive behaviors and then they get more frequent and more frequent and more frequent. And so some of the, the, the short-term effects of this, you're going to start to feel confused and uh, wondering what's going on and wondering what's happened. And you'll start sort of reeling back in your mind, like, what, what happened in the last few weeks that's made things change? Um, maybe you'll feel, start to feel defensive yourself and misunderstood, and you'll work really hard to over-explain um, um, and, you know, try to figure out or help the abuser figure out what's going on and why they don't need to respond the way they're, they're responding. Uh, you might start to feel even more needy uh, because you want to get that, you know, that loving behavior back. So you'll, you'll ask for more. You'll need more from the person. And then you don't get it, and then you feel even more needy. And then as time goes on, you're going to start to feel more anxiety, more agitation, um, more guilt and shame. You might feel depressed and you might be crying a lot and have feelings of helplessness and hopelessness uh, until, you know, if it's gone on for years and years, you can sort of begin to belly up and really uh, feel like there's no hope at all, that, you know, this person has complete control over you, that you maybe you have suicidal thoughts, you have um, the typical symptoms of ongoing depression, you might have panic attacks, uh, you may use um, drugs and alcohol to help control your, your feelings of fear and anxiety. Um, you may be afraid to reach out to family and friends. You may be more and more isolated as a result of both your feelings and what's going on in the relationship. So it's really a, a, a strong and quick climb from confusion and misunderstanding to completely losing yourself and your mental health taking a nosedive. Mm. So that right there is, you know, what you've just described is a, a good, uh, well, it, it explains 
why emotional and psychological abuse can be so much more harmful in the long run than physical abuse because the victim often has no idea what's happening and continues to blame themselves and try to, as some people say, turn themselves into a pretzel to to correct their behavior so that they no longer are disappointing and making angry the abuser. Yes, that's um, true. And I, I do hate to, to qualify between, you know, what's worse, emotional or physical. And, mm-hmm. you know, I certainly have not been physically abused. I don't. I cannot even imagine the torment of that. I think they are both absolutely awful. But I will say emotional abuse can lead to some of the same horrible outcomes because if you become so depressed and so unhappy that you are suicidal, um, that outcome is the same as having somebody physically abuse you to death. And, uh, you know, either way, you're going to have some very, very serious internal issues to deal with and some long-term healing that you'll have to undergo in order to extricate yourself from from all of the the mental health issues that you will suffer under either kinds of these abuse. Absolutely. Perhaps I should have said why it's more difficult in a way also to identify because physical abuse, you know you're being hit. Um, it's it's uh, you, you know you're being hit, um, but but um, being emotionally and psychologically abused is very confusing and sometimes much more difficult to identify. I know of someone who actually went to a local uh, domestic abuse center because they felt that they were you know being they're possibly being abused uh, emotionally and psychologically, and were asked, "Are you being hit?" And she said no, and she was told, well, then you're not, you know, you're not being abused. And this, yeah, this no, woman walked out of there in the, total confusion. Yeah, and the court systems and law enforcement often don't recognize emotional abuse as, as um, extreme enough to take action. And, you know, in situations where people are in emotionally abusive marriages and they get a divorce, and then the children are being subjected to emotional abuse by the abusive parent uh, that, you know, if there's visitation or, um, you know, certain child care arrangements where the children go to the emotionally abusive parent, um, they, you know, the, the victim's spouse can't force the court system to say, my, my child is being abused here because you can't say, well, they're being yelled at all the time or they're uh, being, they're given the cold shoulder, they're not giving any hugs. You know, it's hard to quantify that. Um, in the short term. And so that, mm. that makes it very difficult for a spouse to think, well, I want to leave uh, the marriage, but what's going to happen to my kids in this situation? Mm. Another interesting dynamic is uh, the, a man who's being emotionally abused and the difficulty that he may have leaving this kind of relationship because of uh, the societal expectations around uh, around men and to say, um, my wife is being mean to me. She's talking ugly to me. Well, you know, friends are going to say, well, man up. You know, what, what's wrong with you? Deal with it. Why are you so upset? And men may have a particularly hard time if they accuse their spouse of abusive behaviors because if the tables turn and she accuses him, 
then he may actually get in some real trouble or if she provokes him. Um, you know, so there's a, there's a strange dynamic in this kind of emotional abuse situation. Um, you know, there, women abusing men, men abusing women, there are unique circumstances uh, in both situations. And sometimes uh, there'll be one partner who begins the emotionally abusive behaviors and the other partner eventually gets so frustrated that he or she reciprocates. And so then you've got this sort of war of the roses thing going on Mm. where the the entire relationship has just devolved into um, arguing and fighting and ugliness and it's just a hot mess. And then the real people who suffer in that are any children who happen to be in the family because they're witnessing this uh, constant drama and um, unhappiness and negativity in the household. And it deeply affects them. Absolutely. That that would be, I mean, that's horrible. And unfortunately, that does occur. You know, here on the it Life Coach Radio often. Network, yes, um, here on the Life Coach Radio Networks, we're proud to have as our sponsor, Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the Internet, offering customers a new way to enhance and enrich their lives every day. Audible is the preeminent provider of spoken word audio products, which include more than 100,000 audio programs from more than 1,800 content providers. Receive a free audio book with your 30-day trial when you sign up with Audible today at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. Audible.com, making listening a tool for life. So, Barry, um, why does emotional abuse tend to occur only with intimate partners and no one else, no one outside of that relationship? Well, I wouldn't say that that is necessarily true. I think it does occur outside of that relationship. And I've heard from many people who uh, deal with emotionally abusive parents or emotionally abusive um, adult children, um, friendships that can get emotionally abusive. It, It definitely happens in other relationships. I would say the intimate relationship is unique in that it is so intertwined, so interwoven, uh, there's so many hopes and dreams and uh, and relational needs tied into that relationship that it makes it very, very unique and uh, more difficult uh, to extricate yourself from. Now, certainly if you grew up with an emotionally abusive parent and you're a child, it's, you know, as a child, you can't extricate yourself. You don't have the wherewithal to do that. But eventually you can grow up you can create your own life. You can see, you know, what your parents did and hopefully heal from that. Um, when you're in a marriage relationship or a love relationship where you created these, these roots that have grown together and you're very intertwined financially with children, um, with all other, you know, kinds of things, you've built a home together, a life together, it's going to make it a lot harder to get out of that relationship uh, and to, to change it. And if you've grown up with an emotionally abusive parent and then you're with an emotionally abusive spouse or love partner, um, as I mentioned before, you're trying to work out those early feelings along with the current problem. And so you're, you're so overwhelmed 
with uh, the emotion of, uh, of the past and the present tied together that it feels suffocating and almost impossible to take action. You don't know what to do. Absolutely, and you also mentioned earlier the the Jekyll Hyde personality, where someone you know might be behind closed doors. They're a totally different person than they are to the rest of the world. Absolutely, and that there's nothing. I mean, that there's something um, that is called gaslighting. There's a term called gaslighting. Mm-hmm. If you've never heard about it before. It comes from uh, a movie from the 1940s called Gaslight, and in the movie, the husband subtly tries to make his wife doubt herself and doubt her perceptions. That's a huge part of um, emotional abuse is that the abuser pretends things are happening that are not or acts like things that are not happening are happening or denies the abuse or denies that the wife is feeling the way she's feeling or the husband is experiencing what he's experiencing. And so you're in this constant state of confusion. Others outside don't see that. They don't understand those nuances or the subtleties that are within the relationship. Um, and so the, the abuser is very good at making himself or herself seem perfectly normal and loving. And that's another way he or she gaslights a spouse. You know, they, they leave the house after a huge argument where you know, he's put her down and yelled at her and called her names, and then suddenly it's all smiles at the family reunion, and he's putting his arm around her and, you know, becoming this wonderful spouse. Well, she's wondering, what the heck? You know, what happened to the dude who just, you know, gave me a dressing down 10 minutes ago? And so there's this feeling of being off balance all the time. Now, there's another type of abuser who who will use those excuse me, those public situations to control a spouse and will will raise his or her voice in front of other people knowing that the spouse feels very uncomfortable about that so she or he won't say anything because she doesn't want to embarrass, you know, them in front of other people or make them look bad or make others feel uncomfortable. So the abuser sort of knows the Achilles heel of their victim and plays on that one way or the other. Mm, and um, what you said about gaslighting—I mean, what it—it's—it's—it's it, it's almost like one of the things that uh, that a gaslighter can do is—I I like to call it rewriting history, so that the the victim starts to doubt their own memory doubt what they they know as real and as you mentioned it adds to confusion but it also adds enormously to self-doubt and um and when you mentioned also um doing things in public to embarrass uh, or control the victim it it's interesting that it can happen or um not around people that uh that know necessarily that actually know the the couple but it will happen in areas where they are basically unknown they are just part of the crowd part of the neighborhood or whatever um yeah so yeah, that a scenario yeah. might be that the couple's out to dinner and they have a glass of wine and the wife might say i really want to talk to you about our financial situation well and he might say i'm not in the mood to talk about that 
but this is a good time, honey. It's quiet. I'd really like to express to you that I'm, I'd like, you know, to have more involvement in financial decisions. Well, then the waiter comes over, and he raises his voice and says, I told you I'm not going to talk about that. Well, then the woman will back down because she doesn't want to be yelled at in front of the, the waiter or doesn't want the people at the table nearby to turn and stare at them. And so he shuts her down immediately by raising his voice. Or the opposite could be that, you know, a woman starts to cry or be shrill or, um, or raise her voice and does the same thing to her husband. It's a way of, of uh, making them feel so uncomfortable and embarrassed that they will quickly back off. Mm. So um, I'm wondering, I mean, we've sort of mentioned this, but being fed crumbs of kindness and affection, basically those those very brief periods in between where, you know, it's almost not really a honeymoon period, but it can feel like one in between these periods of, you know, of of everything being, you know, feeling not necessarily attacked, but, you know, the abuse in between those 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 periods, those little respites of what feels almost like normalcy. Um, how can that uh, contribute to the long-term effects? of abuse and create even more confusion in victims? Well, it's, it is like being starving uh, for weeks and months and then someone finally hands you a single piece of tofu, right? Mm, <laughs> Suddenly tofu yeah. looks delicious um, or, you know, a piece of celery. You know, what, when you get nothing, then a little something seems like sustenance. And so you, if you continue to get nothing, 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 and then sustenance, and then nothing, 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 and then sustenance, um, you're going to keep moving toward that, that carrot that's being offered you um, mm-hmm. to the point that you think the only way you're going to get anything is from this one person. And if you, if you got nothing at all, if you continue just to have abuse, abuse, abuse with no respite from it, then you might be so starving that you you do look elsewhere. But if you get a little carrot, then that's the way that the abuser keeps you in their control, because you're giving you're getting just enough to keep you hanging on. Mm, so it basically trains, in a sense, it it helps to further erase the the victim's sense of identity and self worth, and trains them in a sense to become even more entrenched in becoming a victim or having victim mentality. Yes, and it also uh, is a very um, uh, sly way for the abuser uh, to take advantage of their victim because uh, over time the abuser recognizes the patterns that have gone on and Mm -hmm. he or she can see when the victim is gaining a little strength, getting really frustrated, starting to get really angry, you know, saying things like, you know, I'm going to leave this relationship. And so that's when the crumb is thrown out. Oh, well, maybe it's not so bad after all. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe he is better than I thought. And so you, the self-doubt begins again, you know, where mm-hmm. you, you were thinking, this person never gives me any love. And so they see you questioning that, and they offer you a little love, and then you're back at square one again. And so this, it is a cycle that, uh, that continues over and over again. 
And it's really, unfortunately, it is up to the abused partner to jump off that cycle to make the first move because mm-hmm. the, um, the abuser has no real motivation to put a stop to it um, because they're getting what they need. They're getting all of their needs and wants met because you're, you're jumping when they say jump. So the, the victim has to, at some point, find that little kernel of strength or feed off that little bit of anger uh, to say, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm done. I'm done with this. And begin to turn the tables and begin to reclaim their own power in the relationship. Okay. So how would you coach someone, for example, who was raised by an, an exceptionally abusive or neglectful mother or you know, whoever their guardian or parent was who was in charge, who feels inwardly and authentically unworthy or unlovable? I would say it is hugely, critically, vitally important that you find a great counselor. And, mm-hmm. you know, there, there is no substitute for having an impartial, professional, trained third party who can see the situation for what it is and has the techniques and the, um, uh, the training to show you how to heal from that original abuse. And there are all sorts of, of um, uh, therapeutic approaches to help you do that, things from cognitive behavioral therapy uh, to something called EMDR that helps you deal with traumatic situations from your past, to just talk therapy. Um, you know, a good therapist will know what kind of therapy is, appro- is appropriate for you depending on your particular situation, the kind of abuse you experienced. But that is the best first place to start in healing from your original abuse and having the strength and wherewithal to deal with your current abuse. Right, and having a a stronger sense of self-esteem and self-identity so that to be able to um, step out sometimes and look more objectively at what's going on because it seems like that's really essential to being able to recognize what's going on. Absolutely. And I've had um, emotional abuse victims reach out to me and say, how can I do that when my spouse controls all of the money? How can I do that Mm. when he monitors my phone calls? How can I do that when I'm going to get yelled at if, if I pay for therapy? And unless your abuser is threatening physical abuse, Unless you feel like your your safety is your physical safety is being violated, do everything in your power to get yourself to that counselor. That might mean having to ask your family for money. That might mean taking out a loan. It might mean uh, contacting a counselor and saying, "Will you do this pro bono?" Uh, walking to your next door neighbor's house, selling your jewelry. Nothing is more important than your mental health, and. You know, getting extricating yourself from this damaging situation. And, you know, yes, you may put up with some yelling from your spouse. You may uh, be threatened or punished some way uh, for doing this. But unless you think you're going to be hurt, physically hurt, um, do it anyway. And try to gather up your courage and do that, take that one step because that one step is huge and hugely important. 
Absolutely. Um, my goodness, I mean, I have so many more questions. We'll have to just go to, um, you know, just a few because I see we're running out of time. Um, you mentioned in your book that, and I highly, highly, highly recommend this book. I cannot say it enough. There is so much more, and Barry talks about systematically what to do, how to heal yourself, and how to move forward and to move on, and I, whether you decide to stay in the relationship or move forward. So I, we, we're not going to be able to cover everything in this call, but I really please do um, take the time, read the book. It's, it's real, I cannot recommend it enough. So you mentioned that men and women differ in the way they process emotion, pain, fear, and anger versus internalizing and externalizing, and that um, there are long-term effects of internalizing anger. If you could quickly mention those, that would be great, the long-term effects yeah. of internalizing yes, anger. If, yes, if you hold on to that anger, and you know, and this is generalizing that men and women differ in their approaches to it, but there are some standard ways that men and women do respond to anger. Women tend to internalize, become anxious, become depressed, uh, sometimes have... Uh, a big outburst of anger only to follow that with more repression. Um, Mm -hmm. And they process things inwardly. Uh, Men often tend to express anger because it's more socially acceptable for them to express it. Um, And so they use anger as their way of um, letting out their grief, their pain, their fears, their frustrations, their lack of self-esteem. And so anger can be very frightening uh, for for some partners, and therefore it can be used as a weapon. Um, that's not, you know, the, those roles can certainly be reversed, but that's, you know, we see that quite often, that, that women do internalize more, do spend more time internally processing things, and that that internal processing can turn against yourself, and, you know, it, it comes out, as I mentioned, in depression, in physical ailments, um, in anxiety disorders, um, and with men it comes out in aggression sometimes. So mm. it's important to pay attention to those things. Certainly you can be a woman who, who has uh, more aggression, and certainly um, you can become more aggressive as a result of you know, somebody who started out as a perfectly calm, easygoing person can become a more aggressive person after they've spent years repressing those feelings and being oppressed. And you might find one day you just lose it <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and have an, a big, fat outburst that you never expected. And that you certainly, uh, it's shocking to you and you, you feel like your internal world is betraying you because suddenly you're behaving in ways you never thought you would behave. So if for no other reason, it's, it's important to deal with this early on, as early as you possibly can, so that you don't become an abuser yourself. And that's mm-hmm. quite often a common scenario with, with victims of abuse is that they, they become abusers themselves. And maybe they take it out on their spouse or they might take it out on their children or their adult parent or their parent. You know, if they're an adult child, they might take it out on their parent. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of repercussions for repressed pain and anger. Mm. So what are some of the ways that a victim can confront their abuser, take a stance, and set boundaries while living in alignment with their own values? 
Yeah, I think it's really important to first sit down and say, what is a loving relationship in my mind? What, what equates a loving relationship? And do some, if you can't come up with that on your own, if you feel like you've been out of a loving relationship for so long, do some research on it. But the abusive behaviors you are experiencing are not part of a loving relationship. But it's nice to have that defined in front of you so you know, so you have it clear on paper. This is what a loving relationship is. And no matter how much my abuser tries to make me think that his behaviors are normal and okay, I know from uh, talking to my counselor, from talking to friends, from reading books, that it's not okay. This is not okay behavior. And then I think one of the best things to do in the very beginning, when you first have this, this awareness or this aha moment that you are living in an abusive relationship, is to sit down with your partner and let them know that you've had a new awareness around it. And you don't have to start by yelling and being aggressive and finger pointing, but you can simply say, I have been doing reading about relationships. And I now know what a healthy relationship looks like. It looks like X, Y, and Z. But that's not what we have in our relationship. And I want it to change. I want us to have a healthy relationship. Do you want to have a healthy relationship? And then that person's answer will tell you volumes. And hopefully they will say, yes, of course I want to have a healthy relationship. And your follow-up will be, well, I don't think we have one because here are the things that are happening that make me feel like we don't have a healthy relationship. I'd like for us to go to counseling together. Will you agree to that? And again, their answer will tell you volumes. If they say no, well, they're not really invested in that healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. If they say yes, then there's hope. Now, you might get a few no's before you get a yes, but you keep trying that for a while. You keep going back to that, I want this healthy relationship. And then in order to establish boundaries, you need to call out the abusive, relation, uh, the abusive behaviors every time they happen. So, mm-hmm. for example, if your spouse puts you down, you say, honey, you just put me down, and that was very hurtful and not loving, and I won't put up with that anymore. Now, your spouse might continue to do it, but you've just empowered yourself. You have just called them out on it, acknowledged that it's happening, held up a mirror in front of him and said, look, I see what you're doing here and you see it too. I'm not going to put up with it. Now, not putting up with it might mean you're going to call him out on it every time or it might mean you walk out of the room every time it happens. So you can create your own boundaries as you feel more and more comfortable. You might end up saying something like, I don't like the way you're speaking to me and until you can be more calm and stop cursing, I'm leaving the room. When you're ready to be calm, we'll have this conversation again. So, and of course, as you're as you're stating, I mean, uh, aside from the fact that the abuser may continue to gaslight or twist things around, or then project everything back or reflect it back and say, "This is, you know, you're doing this. I'm not doing this." So, of course, um, these you're not saying that it's just this easy thing, but in doing this, the victim can slowly. Um, um, reinforce her own sense of of healing, and that and confidence. it's right. And yeah. you, we we hit on before one thing. Uh, I just wanted to go into a little bit more. 
so often victims try to to spend their time and energy in trying to they're trying to figure out their abuser under they're trying to understand them not necessarily they don't realize they're maybe making excuses but they're trying to understand their abuser they study they read all kinds of abuse, uh, books about psychology they're trying to understand the abuser the behavior and what they can do to improve the abuser's behavior they're they're without really understanding that they're not dealing with normal behavior so that's um, correct yeah. yeah, it is. It is beneficial to understand your abuser only to the extent that it helps you empower yourself. But your mm-hmm. abuser is a an adult. Your abuser, uh, on some level, is aware of what they are doing because they see you unhappy. They see you anxious. They see that they are getting their way, and they know that that's not right. On some level, they might be somewhat unconscious of their behaviors. But over time, there's, there's been enough that's happened between the two of you that your abuser knows that he or she is manipulating you and controlling you. And this is an adult who is making choices to do that. It is not the victim's responsibility to go rescue the abuser. The victim's mm-hmm. responsibility, first and foremost, is to her own mental health and to protection of her children if she has them. And trying to negotiate, understand feel sorry for uh, your abuser is only falling further into their manipulative traps. So don't fall for it. And the, the most important thing you can do in order not to fall for it is to educate yourself about these abusive behaviors and what's happening. Because if you are constantly feeling like, well, maybe I'm wrong about this, maybe it's just me, uh, then it's much easier for your abuser to to try to uh, wheedle his or her way back into your good graces and to let things pass and to give them one more chance and all of that. But if you know what they're doing and you see it and you say, hey, I, I'm not falling for that stuff anymore, um, it's a lot easier to stand up for yourself. And abusers are bullies. They're old-fashioned bullies who if you call them out, quite often they will begin to bat down because they, you know, their, their power is on, is in subterfuge and, um, you know, and trying to fake you out. But once they see you're onto them, uh, it's harder for them to maintain that facade. Absolutely. And one thing that comes to mind is that, um, get, you know, who, the, the sort of, let's just say a woman or even man who might be really vulnerable to this sort of abuse might be someone who has a lot of compassion and considers himself a strong person so that they feel, okay, I can, I can deal with this. I can understand. Let me figure out how to make this work better. And in, in thinking that way, it can ultimately erode them even further because they tend to stay longer. So that's a question yes. I have because it's one of the many other things that we haven't gotten to touch on, we didn't have time to touch on in the book was how do you know, how does one decide whether to stay in the relationship and try to work it out or leave? Because that's a, a big decision, especially if you've invested a lot of your heart, your soul, and time, um, but a lot of yourself and self-esteem in this relationship. How does one decide whether to stay or leave? 
Yeah, there are, and, and that's a great question. And I think, um, you know, no one gets into a love relationship thinking, I'm going to leave this sooner or later. You get into it thinking, you know, this is uh, the person I want to spend my life with or, you know, that I'm in love with and I want to stay with them. Uh, and so, you know, even through an abusive relationship, most people for a long time think, I, I really want to try to make this work out. And, you know, you, you do get to a point, though, where it gets bad enough that you wonder, is this, is this the right thing to do? Um, there are certain situations, though, where it is absolutely imperative that you get out. And one would be is uh, if, if the physical abuse happens with you or if your children are being physically or emotionally abused, you've got to p- take care of those children. There's no one else who is going to step in and take care of them. They need one adult in that family who's going to protect them um, from from both emotional and physical abuse, and it has to be the person who is not the abuser in the household. Um, mm-hmm. And if there's a threat of physical abuse, if there's the throwing and the banging and the stomping and, and things that feel like real aggression, physical aggression, um, be careful because that can be a, a real trigger for physical abuse to be the next step. So, you know, or if you are to the point where your mental health is teetering on the brink, you've been dealing with this for so long and you feel like you, you can't go on, you're having suicidal thoughts, you're about to have a breakdown, get out of that house and go stay with your friends. Go stay with your parents, but get away from that toxic environment so that you have the wherewithal to to figure out what you're going to do. Um, also, if your partner takes absolutely no responsibility and shows no interest whatsoever in improving the relationship, there is no point in investing your valuable time and energy one more day in a situation that is not going to improve. And, you know, you may have to give that some time to figure it out. If you've stated your case, you want the relationship to get better, you want them to change, you want to go to counseling, and you're getting nothing and the behavior continues, um, then I'd say six months, a year after that, um, it's going to be pretty clear that nothing's going to change. So those are fairly clear indicators that, uh, that it's time. Now, if you're sort of on the fence, if your abuser is uh, doing some steps and you're not sure, um, you know, of course you may want to go to counseling, give it a chance, give them the opportunity to change but it is hard for an abuser to take full responsibility uh, without asking for a pass on the occasional bad behaviors, without making excuses. Someone has to be highly motivated to change. Um, and you need to see that real strong level of motivation to expect that your partner is going to invest in the relationship the way you want them to invest. Um, you may decide you want to stay for the short term because of your children, because of financial situations. Um, you know, it, there may be some very practical reasons to hang on a little bit longer. That's perfectly understandable. But you can manage the abuse while you're in that waiting period with some of those uh, tactics and boundaries that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to point out, too, that Uh, In this book, Barry also goes through really systematically how to heal from emotional abuse, Um, you know, in in depth. She really does. She she has all sorts of plans about how to handle um, this this process 
of trying to set boundaries and and talk to your abuser and and it's she's very aware that there is a lot of anxiety and it's not going to be simple and everything's going to work there the, the abuser may very well continue to use the same tools or pattern of behavior that they've been using um, Barry also goes in, in much more depth than we've had time for today, exactly what those patterns are and the, I, I'm not using the right word, but the tools that they use, the way that they, they express um, that abuse. Um, and Barry will also tell us about, in a few minutes, she'll tell us about a new program um, that she's put together to, uh, to help with, with kind of scripts for how to speak to your abuser since since it is such a, an anxious it can be such an anxious process um, Barry also has a um, kind of a checklist that you can take uh, it's on it's online you can easily get it and to see am I being abused or not and she also has a program that you can that you can purchase it's very inexpensive to help you um, deal with and get through and heal from emotional abuse. So I, we've actually gone over time. <laughs> so um, I want to thank Barry Davenport for being on the show today and being so generous with her time, and it's just been a great interview. Um, I'm Jan Jaffe, and it has been my privilege to have been your host today. And for more information, questions, or whatever, you can always feel free to in email me at info at forwardtosuccess.com. You're, um, uh, you're also invited to share any comments or feedback on our website, lifecoachradionetworks.com. In addition to uh, my solo show, interview show, I also host Think Tank, a roundtable discussion, and I would be delighted if you would join us for the next episode of Think Tank on September 7th at 12 noon Eastern. Um, Barry, would you care to share any closing thoughts, advice, comments, or contact information or any of your programs or anything else with our listening audience? Yes, absolutely, and thank you so much, Jan, for having me. It was really wonderful being here and wonderful being able to talk about a very difficult topic, but one uh, where there is hope, and that is something I want to end on, uh, that you know, you do not have to be a lifelong victim of emotional abuse, whether you stay in your relationship or decide to leave it. And there are ways to regain your strength, regain your self-esteem, uh, define your own um, worthiness and your own power in the relationship. That's something I go into in depth, both in my book and my course. Uh, you can find my book at liveboldandbloom.com forward slash EAB dash book. That's liveboldandbloom.com forward slash EAB dash book. I also have a, a course called Emotional Abuse Breakthrough, and that can be found at emotionallyabused.com. Uh, both the book and the course help you not only deal with the abuse, understand it, but find ways to rebuild yourself, rebuild your self-esteem, find your strength, and start over with a more joyful um, and peaceful kind of life with or without your partner. Well, thank you so much, Barry. And Thank you for being on the show today. I've really enjoyed having you with us, and I just 
I think, I mean, there's so much, you have so much information to help everyone in this really, really difficult situation, life situation. And um, so, again, thank you. And I hope our listeners have uh, really uh, that they look into your programs and look into your books because you have other books as well. I I hope, I don't know. I mean, I would love to have you back to discuss some of the other topics that you specialize Anytime, in. Anytime, Jan. It would be my oh, pleasure. Oh, fantastic. We, uh, we absolutely, absolutely will. And I want to remind our listeners that all of our contact and bio information is listed in today's show description. Now I'm just going to take a moment to announce a few of our upcoming shows. On this, the Life Coach Radio Network, on September 7th at 12 p.m., Think Tank, How to Train to Be Your Own Superhero. And on September 21st at 12 p.m., In Depth with Jan Jaffe, I'm interviewing Holland Hayes, and on September 28th at 12 noon, we have another episode of Think Tank. So I want to again thank my wonderful guest, I mean just exceptional guest, Barry Davenport, for joining me today and making this show a very, very special one. Thank you for listening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.